0: Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com, or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181, and make sure you tell them I sent you. So today's guest is the one and only Jimmy Murphy. He is an NHL insider and columnist at BruinsDaily.com, also a contributor at Dirty Water TV. Follow him on Twitter, at Murphy's Law 74 If you've listened to my show at any point in the last 8 to 10 years, then you especially know that Jimmy Murphy is one of the best guests that I have on this show when it comes to the National Hockey League. He is someone who's in the know, and he has a very strong opinion on a lot of things, and I talked to him over the phone this morning A majority of the conversation was about what the Boston Bruins did and maybe didn't do at the NHL trade deadline with regards to keeping Louis Erickson and adding depth defenseman John Michael Lyles and depth forward Lee Stepniak. So I talked to Murph about these things this morning. I'll play that conversation for you in just a few minutes because the Bruins... They won last night 2-1 over the Calgary Flames at the TD Garden. So I I did watch that. Obviously, uh, Dougie Hamilton, the return of Dougie Hamilton. If you've listened to me in the past, you know I did not like that trade this summer. Even thinking back about it as I watched this game, I still do not like that trade. I mean, Dougie Hamilton, some people say, well, he's not having a great season. I don't watch every Calgary Flames game. All right? I don't. So I can't sit here and tell you that Dougie Hamilton, I can't sit here and tell you, you know, the things that he's done well and the things that he's done poorly and even maybe what the reasons for those things that he's done poorly are. I can tell you that when you look at his numbers, 63 games here this season, nine goals, 18 assists for Dougie Hamilton, that's 27 points. A minus 11. The Calgary Flames are a very bad team, though, this season. Uh, The Flames at the bottom of the standings of the Western Conference with only 26 wins, a 26-33-4 record. Uh, That's 56 points. So the Flames are down and out of a playoff spot. There's no way they're getting in. Dougie Hamilton has been a part of that very bad Flames team this season. Uh, His numbers, with regards to points... They're not what they were last year. I mean, Dougie last year in his final season with the Bruins, 72 games, 10 goals, 32 assists, which goes for 42 points, and a minus three, uh, a Bruins team that did not make the playoffs. Dougie Hamilton, to me, I think what you need to focus on is the fact that he's only 22 years old. He's only 22 years old. And in fact, Dougie, it looks like, is going to finish this season with a career high in goals scored. I I don't know how much you want to look into that, but it's looking like that will be the case. He has nine goals right now. Last year was his career high with 10 goals scored, so it's looking like he'll have more than 10 to finish this season. But seeing Dougie Hamilton in a Calgary Flames uniform last night, he was getting booed at the TD Garden. I just It brought me back to the trade they made in the offseason and how I just really didn't like it. You know, you can tell me all you want that he didn't want to be here. You can tell me all you want, you know, and Murph tells a story about something that he heard about Dougie Hamilton's time with the Bruins. You can, you can tell me all you want about his immaturity and how that wasn't really helping this team and, and the organization didn't want to keep him around because he didn't want to be here. Well, at the end of the day, Dougie Hamilton didn't really have a choice. He was a restricted free agent. The Bruins had all the leverage, but still they decided to trade a young defenseman who I thought showed, showed a lot of promise. I thought had improved in a lot of different aspects of the game, and I think is only going to improve based on the fact that he's only 22 years old. He will turn 23 in June, but he's in diapers. And I, I, I love what he brought to the table as a six foot five, 200 pound defenseman. Not the most physical cat in the league, but certainly I thought at least defensively, physicality. That was coming along, I thought, with his game in a Bruins uniform. And I'd love to see him still be a Bruin, yet he is not. And that trade that the Bruins made, sending Dougie Hamilton to Calgary for draft picks last this past offseason, it showed me the strategy that the Bruins were going to take was to go out and get some draft picks here and get even more right now, a couple days ago, by trading Louis Erickson. And that did not happen, as you know. And also, the Bruins... Not only did they keep Louie, but they added a depth defenseman and a depth forward, and none of it makes any sense. The only way it makes sense is if the theory that I have and even the theory that Murph has on this is true, which is the Jacobs family, the Bruins ownership, had its fingerprints all over this one, all over this trade deadline, in which they say we need to add a couple players and we need to keep Louie. If we're not going to get a major player, we need to keep Louie because we need to make the playoffs this season. We are not going to miss the playoffs two straight years, and all we care about right now, we know this team probably isn't going to win a Stanley Cup, but we cannot miss out on the playoffs again, so we have to make a couple moves to to bring some additions to this team, and if it means keeping Louis Erickson, if we cannot get a top player in return for him, you know, we're not going to make that move. We're going to keep him, and we're going to lose him in the offseason for nothing. At least that's the risk, and I think it's more than a risk. When you can't come to a contract extension with Louie and you decide to keep him, and he's going to be a free agent, and he's having a great season, then you lose all the leverage in the world if you're the Bruins. You lose it all. Erickson has all the leverage, and the moves that the Bruins made and even didn't make at this trade deadline has the fingerprints of ownership all over it, the Jacobs family, Uh, this is their doing, I believe. Murph believes the same thing. Uh, He joined me over the phone this morning. We talked about this. Uh, We talked about where the Bruins stand. And, you know, we got into a little bit of some of the other trades around the NHL with regards to the Blackhawks and the Rangers and what the playoff picture could look like for some of those teams and more specifically what it could look like for the Boston Bruins. So Murph joined me this morning. I'll play that conversation for you right now. Stick around afterwards because I have some thoughts here on some of the top stories in the NFL, in the NBA, and even Major League Baseball. So here it is, my conversation with Jimmy Murphy. Enjoy and stick around afterwards. All right, joining me over the phone right now is the one and only Jimmy Murphy, NHL insider and columnist at BruinsDaily.com, also a contributor at Dirty Water TV. You can follow him on Twitter, at Murphy's laws 74 Murph, what's going on? Thanks for joining me today. Ah, good to hear from you,
1: buddy. I'm good.
0: How about you? I'm doing well. Um, the Bruins, they win last night 2-1 to over the Calgary Flames at the TD Garden, and, and all the talk right now, as you know with this Bruins team, is what they did and even didn't do at the NHL trade deadline the other day. But first and foremost, just just going to this game last night, Dougie Hamilton back in the building. Really, when I see Dougie Hamilton in the garden in a Flames uniform, it, it brings me back to the trade this offseason, and to this day, I still hate that Dougie Hamilton trade, but did it? Did seeing him in a Flames uniform last night? Did it bring you back to that trade? And 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 I guess how did you feel about that at the time?
1: Well, I think yeah. I mean, obviously the the timing of of the Calgary Flames being here the day after the trade deadline and and, and Sweeney making, as you said, uh, some some questionable moves and some questionable non moves. Uh, it was kind of like the perfect storm for the Bruins, I think, and, and for you know, the, the the vultures swarming above them right now, so they, they, they're they just getting pounded left and right right now. And, mm. you know, I, I think to a point, rightfully so. But, uh, you know, yeah, you look back at that deal, and, you know, I was uh, I was quite surprised that the crowd booed him so much. I mean, pretty much almost every time he touched the puck, uh, they didn't seem to have that much uh, angst against him when he played here. But obviously, a lot of stories came out after he left that he didn't want to be here. And I guess they took offense to that. And... You know, that's that's their prerogative. Um, I just think, you know, that it's one of these things where uh, it was clear when you saw the way he was interviewed and and his reactions, he's clearly moved on. I I don't think it really bothered him that much because I think it's true. I think he wanted to be here, and I think that was evident in some of his post-game interviews.
0: Yeah, but, uh, you know, I go back to there's one thing not wanting to, to be in Boston. It's another thing to not want to be in Boston and really not have any choice, because at the end of the day, he was a restricted free agent. So, I mean, if the Bruins really wanted to, they could have used all their leverage and kept him around still, right? Well,
1: could have, but I think, the, you know, you look at it, the situation, I, I, I don't want to draw too much of an extreme analogy here, but you look at the Jonathan Druin situation in Tampa Bay, mm. uh, I mean, Dougie Hamilton and his agent can come right out publicly and tweet that they want out. Uh, as Alan Walsh and, and Jonathan Druin did, and I think they're regretting that right now. Um, but they made it be known behind the scenes. I mean, it got to a point where, you know, there's reports, that I think Joe Haggerty reported publicly, and if not, I mean, I, I know it for, to be a fact that, you know, Dougie Hamilton's parents were calling Claude Julian in Peter Shirelli at times, complaining about his playing time and how he was being utilized in the lineup. All right? I mean, it, it got to a point where this kid had become – pretty much the, uh, the Madonna of the dressing room and the spoiled Brad who has to have his parents call and whine about his playing time. And he was sort of exiled from the, the, the click that is a dressing room. And he wasn't part of that team. And I think the Bruins realized this and he said, All right, we can't really keep this around no matter how good this guy is. It, it, it's just not going to work here. And he, he came to them and said he wanted out. So they went, and you would hope to find the best deal possible, but once again, as they did with Tyler Seguin, they seem to rush it
0: a bit. Yeah, and you know what? That That's just one thought I had last night watching this game. The other thought is, and the reason I came back to thinking about Dougie Hamilton, is because of the strategy the Bruins took, Murph, before this trade deadline and at this mm-hmm. trade deadline the other day, because... You know, if you're going to make all these moves this past offseason and get all these draft picks and essentially commit to some of the kids, I expected them to do that at this trade deadline as well. And and they didn't. They went out and acquired a depth defenseman in 35-year-old D-man John Michael Lyles. They went out and acquired a depth forward in 33-year-old wing Elise Stepniak. And they ended up keeping Louis Erickson without a new contract in a contract year. Not necessarily the strategy that I wanted to see them uh, with and have at the deadline. Uh, and reading what you've said the last couple days, it sounds like you feel the same way.
1: Oh yeah, completely. And you know, I, I I'll, you know I've been really trying to figure this out a lot right now. I know I don't. I know people are really coming down hard on Don Sweeney and maybe eventually we'll find out the truth and it is his fault. But I, I just I can't seem to see any other thing that happened except that ownership stepped in here. I really can't because you made a great point there. Everything they did at the draft and in the offseason last year it was a complete opposite of what they did Monday. Mm. They it, it, it couldn't be the two more opposite ends of the spectrum. And, and – and, whether we agree or disagree with him, a lot of people disagree with him, and I just did in terms of the Hamilton trade. I thought they could have at least got a roster player or a top-notch prospect that was really close to the NHL to being ready for the NHL, but he went out. He didn't give a, he didn't give a, you know what, about what people said. He went out, and he stuck and slid, and he did it. Sure taught me that if you put it, he has a tie in New York that clearly is not going to sign here, Okay. And it's a great trade ship. You could probably get an NHL-ready prospect or a very close one and a first-rounder and then flip them either now for the defenseman you need or you can sit the draft. You're telling me he just takes a 180 and, and, and just goes complete opposite way after, after how stubborn he was sticking to his plan before? Mm. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. I think that we're going back to what you and me grew up with. I know you're a little younger than me. But I'm sure you can relate oh, yeah. those years when the Bruins were always just good enough to make the playoffs so they could get the extra money at the gate because they acted like a team, like a, like they were the Washington Capitals or the Anaheim ducks going out and getting those you know, spare parts and depth players. And and like you said, let's not forget that not only are they older players, they're also rentals. And they're on record only last week saying Kevin Gilly on ninety eighty five sports Up, saying we will not get rentals. Mm. And then they turn around and get it. So you're telling me that somebody didn't step in and push them in a different direction. I don't believe it.
0: Yeah, I and I think, you know, I know where you're going. And, and I've said this the last couple of days. As, as much as I look at this deadline, and I do want to blame this on the GM, because that's the first guy that we usually point our finger at, at a trade deadline in which, you know, we don't agree with the moves. But the more I look at this, the more I try to dig into this, this deadline has the Jacobs family's fingerprints all over it. It does. And you just mentioned, just getting into the playoffs. They did not want to miss the playoffs for two straight years. And um, they look at how bad the Eastern conference is. And they say, Hey, maybe we could even win a playoff series and, and, and make up for the playoff series that we didn't get last year with that money. And uh, this also goes into the Louis Erickson asking price that they had. And Murray, exactly. You tweeted that per three NHL team executives, The Bruins are asking for a top-six forward or a top-four defenseman, a first- or second-round pick, and a prospect for Louis Erickson. Now, I think they should be asking for a first-round pick, and if they want to ask for a prospect, go ahead. But it's just insane to me that you would also ask for a top-six forward or a top-four defenseman because any team that's going to be trading for Louis Erickson is not looking to give up a top six forward, a top four defenseman. Those are teams that are looking to contend, a team that's looking to rent Louie. So when you ask for that type of player, in my opinion, that is coming down from ownership saying, if you're going to trade this guy, you better get an NHL-proven player to help us make the playoffs. And this has the fingerprints of the Jacobs family all over it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. And, you know, it's true. I mean, they, they went in there knowing, hey, Nobody in their right mind is going to say yes to that. And if they do, then so be it. Then we flee somebody. Then, you know, then there we go. But, you know, they knew pretty much that nobody was going to say yes to that. And let's look at the bigger picture here, Danny. And let's let's go back to what you were talking about with that trade for Dougie Hamilton. You know, yes, I think to a point, I I really do believe that Don Sweeney, if this item, is committed to replenishing the system. And he's done a good job so far replenishing it with good prospects and really starting to build towards the future and rebuild the organization because he knows that in a few years that core is going to be older and they need to start to filter new guys. We know the name of is going. I believe all that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, another reason the team would only get back draft picks is why. It's because there's not as much money involved. And there won't be as much money involved for a while. Now, look at where Jeremy Jacobs is in terms of the owners, in terms of the Board of Governors, and the power that he is. He is arguably more powerful than Gary Bettman. Okay? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rumors going on right now that the cap will either stay the same or go down, maybe even go down drastically because of A, the Canadian dollar being so horrible right now, and also the players choosing not to use the escalator. Jeremy Jacobs knows all this. He probably knows what's coming right now. So you're telling me that this didn't have anything to do with the, the moves at the draft and the moves. On Monday, I think he'd have a huge thing to do with it. He knows what's coming. He doesn't want to be caught. He doesn't want to be throwing a lot of money around right now. And the orders are in to Neely and Sweeney to watch it.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I am absolutely with you. I mean, I think, again, the, the fingerprints of the owners all over this thing and – uh you know, it, it's it's one thing if if you say to yourself, hey, we're going to we're gonna keep Louie. And, and just, I mean, that doesn't even make sense to me. Just keeping Louie doesn't make any sense. The only reason you would keep him, to me, is if you think, okay, we're actually going to go out and make that other move to get a player that helps put us over the top. And then they didn't do that. You know, they acquired Stepniak yeah. and, and Lyles. And, and look, Stepniak and Lyles... I think if you added them to a team that was like top team in the conf- conference, exactly. and, and and needed a, a sixth defenseman or a you know a bottom six forward, I'm thinking to myself, all right, those would be good moves. But Lyles and 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 Stemniak do not put the Bruins over the hump, and and I wanted the Bruins to be realistic and, and and know that that was the case. So now you add Lyles, Murph, and what that does is it takes playing time away from someone like Joe Morrow. And it probably keeps Colin Miller down in Providence, which is insane to me because at this stage, you should be wanting to get Colin Miller more ice time in the NHL. You should be wanting to see what Joe Morrow is. You should be wanting to build this young defensive core because that's their biggest issue. And maybe you should want to make your rebuild, you know, a a little bit shorter by seeing what these young defensemen are right now. And you won't be able to do that because you added a 35-year-old defenseman. Doesn't
1: make sense. Yep, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I, I do feel for Don Sweeney right now. And, I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be writing about this today. And, and you know, it's going to paint him. Unfortunately, it's going to paint him as a puppet, which I, I don't – I'm not trying to cast ill will towards Don Sweeney because I really think he's just trying to do his job under tough circumstances. But, you know, and I'll put it this way. I know somebody that's been in the business for a while. He's a, he's a longtime NHL scout. He used to be in management as well. And, you know, he, I remember this year, he said he was out in Edmonton, and he, uh, he bumped into Peter Chiarelli. And he said that Peter Chiarelli, to him, looked about four years younger than he looked last spring when he was here. Huh. And, and I said, what do you mean? He said, because he doesn't have Charlie and Jeremy hanging over his head. He can do his job. He doesn't have to worry if they're going to interfere. He doesn't have to worry about taking the blame in the media. He doesn't have them hanging over his head. And now that's Don Sweeney's problem. And to an extent, maybe Kim Neely. Maybe Kim Neely is hanging over Don Sweeney's head as well. I don't know. I don't know what goes on behind those doors. But I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of interference going on. And it's going to really, as you said, halt the development of this team. Because those guys should be playing right now down the stretch run. But they make the playoffs or not. They should be playing because they are the future of this organization.
0: Absolutely, and and to Louis Erickson, you know he's going to be a free agent. The minute that, I mean, we look, we can't expect him to be to to be re-signing with the Bruins, right? That's not going to happen because the minute that you, no. the minute that you keep him as a Bruins organization, the minute you keep him after the trade deadline, an impending free agent with no contract, you cannot come to an agreement. The minute you keep him. The Bruins lose all leverage. Louis Erickson has all the leverage now because they can go to the Bruins this summer and say, "What are you gonna let me walk? You know, you're gonna let me walk for nothing. You remember who you traded me to get? You're gonna let me walk, yeah. and, and and he's gonna go out and get paid. The Bruins they lost all leverage, so I we can't expect Louis to be back,
1: right? That's just not gonna happen. Well, they they don't expect him. They went on record last was it was it Sunday? I think it was even the day before the trade deadline. Don Sweeney's on record is saying, well, then so be it. Louie Erickson will be our own rental. <laughs> that doesn't even make I'm, sense. I don't know why they say that. They keep saying that. It makes no fucking sense, Murph. <laughs> no, man. It really is. I mean, it, it's just, you know, and you've got this, this, this section, this fraction of, of Bruins fans and some of the media, too. that that just cannot see their team do anything wrong and don't want to face reality right now when it's scaring them right in the face. And they say guys like you and me are being too negative. No, we're just painting the picture for you that's real. I mean, this is really what's going on with the Bruins right now. They're not going in the right direction. And you can blame Peter Chiarelli all you want for the cap mistakes he made, but it's becoming more and more evident that some of them weren't his mistakes alone. And, and and you can either go on and watch the you know the, what's their show they call behind the Bee, where they they give you behind the scenes here the Bruins, the one when they film when they decide to trade Tyler Sagan, Cam Neely is leading the pack there. <laughs> He's leading the the move to tr- to trade Sagan, not Peter Chiarelli. Cam Neely, it's right there on video, and yet Peter Chiarelli always got the blame. I don't get it.
0: And I just, I look at the strategy, Murph, and and it goes back to the Dougie trade, right? It goes back to last offseason, and you bring it into now, and, and I know me and you are on the same page where me and you would have both traded Louis Erickson for a first-round pick, and we would have both traded Zidane O'Chara before the trade deadline oh, yeah. this year for a first-round pick. And I, you know what? You get all these picks, then you get nuts this summer. You want to get nuts this summer, you take a couple of those picks, you get all these first-rounders, you either move up in the draft— like you tried to yep. last year and couldn't, and maybe you learn from your mistakes there. Or, you know, you package some kids with some picks, and maybe you move another roster player, and you go out and you get your top four defenseman, and on top of it, you're probably going to be able to sign Keith Yandel, who wants to play for the Boston Bruins, and you might even be able to get him at a cheaper price than, than, than another team would be able to get him at. You can make moves on your defensive end this summer while giving some of the young kids like Colin Miller and Joe Morrow playing time and ultimately, you know what that does? Because people will look at this and say, "Well, they're wasting the Bergeron, Rask, uh, Krejci years." And I say, "Well, in a way, they are." But at the same time, I look at Bergeron, Krejci, Rask, and even Marchand, and I say, "That's a that's a pretty damn good core." And it's not like and they're not that old. No, they're not. They're, they're what Bergeron's thirty, Krejci's twenty nine, Rask is twenty eight. I mean, they're still young enough where. If the rebuild here—if you want to even use that word—if it only takes like two or three years, and again with one of the best goalies in the league, you're looking at a group that can have a chance to win a cup in a couple years if you handled it the right way right now. And they—it
1: just—it's mind boggling to me, Murph, that they can't see that. No. you know, and look at the LA Kings, right? They missed the playoffs last year. They could win the Stanley Cup easily this year. Yeah, they're a contender. One year. It's called management. It's called letting your GM, letting your scouting team, letting them all do their job, back off, and and let them do their job and and, and work within the parameters of the cap, and they can do it. And and Sweeney was on his way to doing that. And and right now it seems that all of a sudden it's going the other direction. And, you know, I'm with you. They could have had a field day at the draft with another first-round pick. Yeah, they still got two. They still got two. But I'm just – I just don't get the direction. Well, I get it. I just, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with the direction they took here. And I, I think it's, it's asinine the way they're acting and the, the way they're talking to the media, uh, the way they're, they're trying to present it to the fans. You know, Danny, I really hope that, you know, it's never happened before and it probably never will and it's wishful thinking, but I really hope that Bruins fans, specifically the season ticket holders, send a message to Jeremy Jacobs. He raised the prices on him last year. Don't re up. I know you want to watch hockey, but you know what? You live in Boston. You live in New England. There's plenty of cheaper options to watch hockey around here. you got the HL. you got great college hockey. Go spend your money there, and it's not that much money to spend. Stop giving it to Jeremy Jacobs because he's going to keep doing this to you. He's going to tease you. Yeah, you got a cup off of him in 2011. Health froze over finally, but it's, it's not going to ever freeze over again. This is going back to the old ways of the 80s and the early 90s. In the late '90s,
0: for the Bruins. Uh, just for some closure, Murph, on the Louis Erickson asking price and what they could have received. Let Let's say that. Let's say that the Bruins weren't asking for a top six forward or top four defenseman, and they were just asking for a first round pick and a prospect. They would
1: have been able to get a first round Done pick. deal. They would have, right? Yep. Yeah, it was on the table. They had. They had St. Louis. They had Anaheim. And I'm told there was an Eastern Conference team as well that all offered, and I believe it might have been the Rangers, that all offered picks and a prospect. Wow. It, it couldn't all, you know, it could have been the Rangers because I don't think they have a first round pick because they turn away so many picks. But I know that the, the Blues and the Ducks mm-hmm. definitely had first round and a prospect on the table.
0: Yeah, wow. Wow. Uh, you mentioned the Rangers. And, and I think you got to look when we look at winners and losers at the trade deadline. I mean, the fact that. You know, the Rangers only gave up, and I say only, but basically they didn't give up a first-round pick for Eric Stahl. I mean, they got him for two second-rounders in yeah. a prospect. I know Eric Stahl's having a terrible season, but I'd be willing to take that chance if I'm the Rangers for, for two second-round picks and
1: a prospect. Yeah, if you're the Rangers. I mean, if you're another team, I don't know. Like, the Rangers now, I think they're – they are in a position where they're saying, look, this is it for us. Yeah. I mean, this is our window. If we're ever going to win it for Henrik Lundqvist, this is it. So they're willing to do that. They're willing to take on a guy and hope they can revitalize him there in New York. I don't know if they can. I mean, I've watched Eric Stahl closely for a while now, and he's, he's just not what we grew up watching. Mm. Um, but you never know. I mean, he gets that juice. The juice is flowing again because he's on a cup contender. You never know. It's worth it's worth a shot. You're totally right. Um but I think you know if they got a Louis Erickson they'd be in much better position. But I don't know if they could afford to do that.
0: And and how about Chicago? I mean, they got Andrew Ladd, Ladd oh. you know, early, and they gave up a first round pick for that. But but they bring him back. Then they go out, they make a couple other moves. I mean, the Blackhawks—they're not afraid. To, they're not afraid to go for it.
1: That's for sure. They are the New England Patriots of, of the <laughs> NHL. That's the Chicago Blackhawks. They—you want to admit it or not—they are a dynasty right in front of our eyes and they are a model franchise right now on how to do it. And people are killing me on Twitter. I had uh, Kevin Paul DuPont coming at me on it, saying, oh, look at all the years of futility they had. So be it. I mean, if I was a diehard Bruins fan right now, a season ticket holder, I would say to management, you want to suck for the next three years, but but you give me your word that you're going to do everything you can to emulate the Chicago Blackhawks and then be a perennial contender and, and, and manage things right? You go right ahead, I'll eat those three years and I think they had that this year with the bruins with the Bruins fans. I think the fans had accepted it they didn't mind it made the playoffs so hard, frosting on a cake it doesn't matter to us we want a contender we want to we want this team to be where they looked like they were going before the Habs knocked them out in seven games in two thousand fourteen
0: yeah look I and think, everything went downhill yeah i think I think we're just realistic i I mean I think people were being realistic with this team and they said look the at least this is what I was thinking. I'm thinking the the defense looks so bad. Uh, you get into a playoff series. It's just not going to end well for this team. And you, if the playoffs began today, Murph, the Bruins play the Tampa Bay Lightning. And when I look around the Eastern Conference, as much as people say the East is terrible and, and I guess it's wide open outside of the Capitals. But, again, I don't even know if that's true because you still look at teams like Detroit, Pittsburgh hanging around. And as long as those teams are hanging around... I'm hesitant to say that it's going to be an easy run through the Eastern Conference. So I mean, when you look at this Bruins team now, the moves that they made and the move that they didn't make—the trade Louis, they kept Louis. Where do you see them? I mean, I think they're going to get into the playoffs, but they're not making a run. I mean, if they begin today, they play Tampa Bay. They don't beat Tampa Bay in a seven-game
1: series, right? No, I, I think the East is tougher than people think, too. I mean, standings-wise, you look at it right now, and you look how the season is gone. I, I really believe that. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look too strong. But if you really look carefully at what's gone on in, say, the last two weeks and what's going on right now, the cream's rising to the top. I mean, you've got the Rangers playing better hockey. You've got the Tampa Bay Lightning, as you mentioned there. They'll sweep the Boston Bruins in a, in a first round. Are you kidding me? Did you see the way they handled the Bruins the other night? The Bruins can't keep up with that. Big defense has no chance against that team. So you got the Tampa Bay, you got the New York Rangers. I think the Islanders, I mean, this is a team that a lot of people had going to the East Finals, maybe even coming out of the East. Sure. Uh, you know, a team on the rise that just, I don't know what happened to them this season, but they're bound to come out of it. They're a better team on paper than the Bruins. So a lot of these teams, and, and Florida is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. The Florida Panthers are real. They're, they, are they going to win the cup? No. But this is a team on the rise. If you look on there, they remind me a lot of the Blackhawks. And ironically, it's Dale Town, the former Blackhawks GM that's running the show there. They remind me of the Blackhawks when they started to turn it around. This is a team to watch out for. So I don't think the East is as easy as Don Sweeney or a lot of these Bruins fans think it is. I, I think the Bruins are one and out at best.
0: All right, Murph, uh, thanks a lot. Great stuff as always, and uh, listen, we'll check in with you again during the playoffs as the Bruins, when they are in it, and, and look to be a one and done. We'll, we'll talk to you then, all right, Murph?
1: Okay, buddy, have a good one.
0: All right, great stuff right there from Jimmy Murphy. Murph is one of my favorite NHL guests that I have on this show, and we will certainly be bringing him back on at some point during the Stanley Cup playoffs. I expect the Boston Bruins to be in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I just do not expect them to be making any type of serious Stanley Cup run. And as I mentioned, the schedule for them now moving forward is very difficult. And they got some big tests coming up against Chicago at home, against Washington at home. Then they go to Florida, to Tampa Bay. Uh, they play a couple more games at home against teams they should beat. Carolina and the Islanders, They'll though- they'll Again, we know when the Bruins play at home, it doesn't matter who they're playing. It's going to be a tough game because they are terrible at home this season. But then the Bruins go to, in the middle of March, they go on the West Coast to San Jose, to Anaheim, to LA, and then they come back to the East Coast at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers, and then at home against Florida. And then in the month of April, they play Chicago again. They play Detroit at St. Louis. It's it's a tough schedule for the Bruins I do expect them to be in the playoffs, though. Uh, I just don't think they're going to be serious contenders to go on a serious run when they do get there. But we'll keep an eye out on them. And I will react to anything that happens here the rest of the Bruins' season. But uh, for now, moving on from some hockey, because I do have some thoughts on the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball's top stories of the day before I close out the show Though I will say this, last night as I'm watching this Bruins game, I was paying attention to the Super Tuesday results, and it is looking like it is going to be Hillary versus Trump for the battle of the next president of the United States. And uh, I, I can remember asking people way back when the Donald Trump stuff first came out that he was going to run for president, and it first looked like that was going to be a real thing and not just a publicity stunt. I, I can remember asking people whose political opinions I really do respect. I asked them, hey, what do you think of of Trump? What do you think of the Republican Party? Like, who who's the favorite there? What do you think is going to happen? And these people whose political opinions I respect greatly, they I can remember them telling me dead serious. They said, oh, Trump, that's real. Trump, Trump is a real candidate here and he's going to have a real shot. And I was just sort of baffled by that. Like, I never thought we would be to this point. And that's not uh, a knock on Trump. That's not an endorsement of Trump. That That's not anything. That's just me being someone who's not the person that you go to for political thoughts, deep, deep political discussion. Like, you don't come here for that. I get that. And you're not looking for it now. So I'm going to keep this quick. But it's an observation I had as I'm watching the Bruins last night, and I am paying attention to the Super Tuesday results, as, as every American should. And um, you see Trump and the realization that, man, this is it. Like, he's going to be the Republican nominee for pres- next president of the United States. And he's going to go up against what it looks like to be Hillary Clinton. It's going to be Clinton versus Trump. Hillary, Hillary versus Donald, right? That's going to be the battle for the next president. And, and I just, I can remember how I felt at first, or at least the questions that I had in the early stages of Trump actually beginning his uh, candidacy, asking people whose political opinions I respect greatly, saying, hey, is this for real? Like, does he have a shot? There's no way he has a shot, right? And they said, oh, no, he has a shot. And they were right. These people were right who told me that. I never thought we'd be to this point. But it, that's real life, folks. This is real life. Hillary versus Donald. Clinton versus Trump. Trump. For the next president of the United States. Now, obviously, there are some things that could happen that maybe could change it in which maybe Rubio drops out and that helps Cruz to a point where I, I, people think that might help him. I don't know. We'll see. We, we have to wait and see. But, but based on the way it looked last night, uh, it's becoming more and more like a real-life storyline that it's going to be Trump versus Hillary Clinton in a battle for the next president of the United States of America. How about that? But uh, also yesterday, I kept my eye out on some of the NFL franchise tag stuff because the NFL franchise tag deadline was yesterday at 4 o'clock Eastern Time. Some of the stuff went down. Some of the news that broke on yesterday's podcast, I reacted to that. Von Miller getting franchised. Um, you had Kirk Cousins getting franchised. Josh Norman got franchised. Those things happened while I was recording yesterday's podcast, so go back yesterday if you want my full reaction to those things. But there is some other NFL news that broke last night into today after the franchise tag deadline as we get into sort of free agency, which begins on March 9th. Officially, I think, right? If I have my NFL schedule correct. And you know the NFL schedule is a 365-day schedule, so if... If you get some things wrong, it's okay. I'll forgive you for that. So please forgive me. But when we talk about players and contracts, Joe Flacco has agreed to an extension reportedly. And also, the, the more mind-boggling extension to me would be Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford has agreed to a new two-year contract with the Philadelphia Eagles that could be worth as much as $40 million. $26 million of that is guaranteed in those two years. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not a Sam Bradford guy. I, I, I don't know why the Eagles would be still wanting Sam Bradford to stay there. They got, you know, they got rid of Chip Kelly. They got a new coach. He is an offensive guy, right? The offensive coordinator there from Kansas city. But so even more so you're an offensive guy. Can't you see that Sam Bradford is not your quarterback in the future? The, the present or the future. Okay. He signs a two-year deal, again twenty-six million guaranteed. Do I have to go over Bradford? And if he, you know, <laughs> plays out this contract and actually does get maybe the thirty-six to forty mil that this is worth total, it's gonna come out to Sam Bradford in his career after these next two seasons we will have made. Get this and sit down. If if you are listening to this number, if Bradford gets the majority of this two-year contract that that he just signed, right? That he's agreed to. In two years, he will have made $114 million in his entire career. Sam Bradford, 114 mil. Are you shitting me? L- let me go over some of this guy's numbers. Sam Bradford is, here's his record in 63 NFL starts and five NFL seasons. Sam Bradford has a record of 25 wins 37 losses and one tie. 25 37 and 1. That's his record. An under 500 record, right? Uh, and not just an under 500 record. A 12 games under 500 record in 63 starts in five NFL seasons. He went 7 and 7 last year in 14 starts with the Eagles. He has never finished a single season with a record above 500. He's finished at 500, but never above 500. And he's only thrown 20 touchdown passes in a single season once. He threw 21 touchdown passes with St. Louis in 2012. So uh, that is Sam Bradford's career, and you can watch him play. He's someone who you could consider a band aid in the National Football League. And I just, I don't understand the idea of wanting to give this guy $26 million guaranteed. You can get into quarterback contracts and salaries and where it compares to around the league. And I know people are going to do that and people are going to send me tweets about this guy's making that much. That guy's making this much. Forget about that for a minute. Let's just look at the mere fact that the Eagles are choosing to have Sam Bradford as their quarterback for the next two seasons. I just don't think it's going to work out for him. And and I don't know how you could look at anything he's done in his pro career that makes you believe it will work out for you. I just don't see it. So if I don't see it, I'm certainly not going to give him $26 million guaranteed over the next two years, with the possibility of him making up to $40 million. But yet they see it. Even with a new coach, they see it. Just crazy to me that that they could see something from Sam Bradford. So uh, there's some of the top stories in the NFL. I mentioned NBA last night, a golden state. They win without Steph Curry. They beat the Atlanta Hawks in overtime last night. They beat them in overtime. 109 to 105 golden state. Now 54 and five on the season. They remain undefeated at home. Uh, Steph Curry, Missed the game last night, yet Golden State still wins. He has an ankle injury. It is very minor. A very minor ankle injury for Steph Curry. But um, the fact that you can sit him out against a team like Atlanta and still win, uh, that tells you an awful lot about the depth on that Golden State team. But Curry, they're saying, will be back on Thursday, tomorrow night, at home against Oklahoma City. A rematch from that overtime thriller over the weekend, uh, so I'll be paying attention to that tomorrow night. And, you know, when Steph Curry's in the discussion, you talk about his three-point shooting ability. And you also, as I mentioned, that Oklahoma City thriller over the weekend, where Steph Curry takes some of his shots from, you know, how far back he shoots it from. And he doesn't just shoot it. I mean, he shoots it to hit it, and he can't hit it. And he shoots it from places and hits them from places where other players in the NBA would throw it up just because time's running out. But yet Steph Curry can hit those shots even when there's plenty of time on the shot clock and on the the, the game clock. And, and I guess, and I didn't know this until I read a headline this morning, I guess there is talk from people, and I don't know if this is within the NBA or if this is just you know the talking heads and people on Twitter and analysts and media members, I don't know who started this conversation. But I read a story this morning, and I didn't even read the whole fucking story. I just read the headline. It was a it was a quote basically about Danny Ainge saying that he does not want to move the three point line back, and he does not favor he is not in favor of adding a four point shot, right? And I read that headline going. Wait a minute, we're we're talking about moving the three-point line back? One, I didn't know that. Two, are we really talking about a four-point shot? Because why? Because one guy is... see Why? Because Steph Curry's shooting deep threes? That's ridiculous. If there's one rule you should be talking about changing in the NBA, it's the hacker Shaq rule. The hacker Drummond, the hacker Howard. Who else? Uh, the hacker DeAndre Jordan. I mean, that hacker rule is is insane. But I feel like there's a simple solution. Like, that should be the rule you're talking about. And, and I heard NBA analysts, former players, when, when the discussion comes up, should you change that hacker rule, the hacker shack rule? And these former players have said, no, we shouldn't be changing rules because just a handful of players can't hit their free throws. And... You can't say that and then come out and say, well, you know, Steph Curry hits these deep threes. We're going to have to either A, move the three-point line back or B, create a four-point shot. (laughs) That makes no sense. Stop. That's not the rule you should be trying to change. That's the most insane thing I've ever heard. Keep the three-point line where it's at and don't add a four-point shot. Like, what fucking planet am I on where this would be a reasonable idea to the point where you'd actually ask someone like Danny Ainge about it? Like, Danny Ainge, you're making him come up with an opinion on that? That's it, that whole idea of moving the three-point line back and even adding a four-point shot makes no fucking sense. So I don't even know who started that. I didn't even know that was a thing till I read the headline today. Didn't know it was a thing. I hope it's not a thing. I hope it is just some media member looking for something to talk about here in the month of March. I just hope. Uh, If there's one NBA rule that you want to change this offseason, or even thinking about changing, it should be the Hacker Shaq rule. And it's a simple solution. You've heard it from me before. If you intentionally foul someone away from the ball, then that team who gets fouled, should get to choose who shoots those free throws. That's it. And you know what? It would stop. You don't do it like you do it within the final two minutes and give uh, that team possession with the free throws. No. You just let the team choose who they want to shoot. Like, if you run down the court, and DeAndre Jordan doesn't have the ball, and he's down on the other side of the court without the ball, and you run down, and you're in the penalty, you foul him, well, the Clippers should get to choose and let Chris Paul take the free throws. And if that was the rule then guess what would happen? That player would not run down the court and foul DeAndre Jordan. It's a simple solution. But that should be the only rule you should talk about changing in the NBA. Don't don't push the three-point line back and certainly don't give us a four-point shot. What is this, fucking NBA jam? Right? I mean, come on now. What's next? You're going to put trampolines on the baseline so you can get some crazy dunks? Right? Maybe maybe throw some gasoline on the basketball. And if they jump high enough, that thing will go on fire. I mean, come on. Give me a break. It's, can we stop with these ridiculously stupid fucking ideas when the simple solutions are right in front of you when the ha- with the hack-a-shack rule? Come on. Come on. So, but that's as long as Steph Curry takes these ridiculous shots, you're going to get ridiculous ideas, right? Uh, bringing it back here locally. The Celtics tonight, they play at home against the Portland Trail Blazers. Should be an exciting one. And then, of course, it feels good to have some baseball going on. The Red Sox uh, played a legitimate game today. They are playing it right now. It looks like Henry Owens having a nice afternoon. Uh, but news on the Red Sox front, Eduardo Rodriguez, he will resume throwing. He suffered a knee injury during PFP, during fielding practice, what, last week? They shut him down for 72 hours, and they say he's, he's good to resume throwing right now, just not off a mound just yet. Here's my advice to the Red Sox, because I this, is, this speaks to how highly I think of Eduardo Rodriguez, thinking that he has the type of power stuff to be the number two in this rotation behind David Price. I consider him the favorite to pick up that spot, the number two role in this Red Sox rotation. Here's my advice. Seeing Eduardo Rodriguez, seeing, what he throw? Throw 100, 120 innings last year? 20 some starts, 21 starts if I have my Eduardo Rodriguez numbers correct. Here's the deal. My advice to the Red Sox. Take it easy with Eduardo Rodriguez right now. Because you know at some point there's going to be, in in really what, what I expect to be his first full Major League Baseball season. Right? There's going to be some type of pitch count that we're talking about in August or September. You'd you think, right? If he stays healthy, if he's lucky enough to to stay healthy, and you hope he does during the regular season, we're going to get to some pitch count. And and, and if, if you have the expectations that I do of Eduardo Rodriguez, here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want to get into any type of... Matt Harvey situation late in the season where you're getting into the playoffs. He's your number two and you need him behind David Price. And yet you have this pitch count that you came up with and you don't want to go over it. You need to manage that at some point during the season. And my advice would be, if if you think this knee injury is something that maybe could come back to haunt him at some point during the season, do not rush him back now. Take your time with Eduardo Rodriguez right now, especially not just with the injury, but combine that knee injury and the fear that maybe it could come back at some point. Combine that with this idea that you're going to have some type of pitch count on him. uh, Innings limit, right? Some type of innings limit, innings count on him this season. So if if that's going to be the case, take it easy with him right now. Take it easy on Eduardo Rodriguez. Do not rush him back. Um, you know, it, there's no need to. There's there's really no need to rush him. You're gonna have a pitch count, an innings limit on him. I, there's no need to rush him back right now. So I hope that's the. I hope that's the route that they take with Eduardo Rodriguez. That would be my advice to the Red Sox. But it's good to see some spring training games beginning. And uh, with that, you know, the the big major league baseball news outside of the Red Sox organization is. Araldis Chapman, the Yankees' new closer, and I'll close the show out with this. Araldis Chapman, he's been suspended 30 games for his role in an alleged domestic violence incident. Uh he will not appeal. He has issued an apology today while adamant that he did not hurt his girlfriend. He apologized for the gun that he allegedly shot off what in uh, outside of the house after the incident. Um, but it, the statement yesterday, he's been suspended 30 games and it's a good suspension. You know, you got to take this stuff seriously. If you are major league baseball, every league should be taking this stuff seriously. And even though, you know, prosecutors, they declined to press charges on Chapman, citing inconsistent witness testimony and insufficient evidence, but they still suspended him 30 games. So good suspension. You know, don't fool around with this stuff. If you major league baseball, And uh, Araldus Chapman, he will not, he will not appeal this. Here's the statement from Chapman yesterday. It says, quote, I want to be clear. I did not in any way harm my girlfriend that evening. However, I should have exercised better judgment with respect to certain actions. And for that, I am sorry. The decision to accept the suspension as opposed to appealing one was made after careful consideration. I made this decision in an effort to minimize the distractions that an appeal would cause the Yankees, my new teammates, and most importantly, my family. I have learned from this matter, and I look forward to being part of the Yankees' quest for a 28th World Series title. Out of respect for my teammates and my family, I will have no further comment. So that is the statement from Aroldis Chapman yesterday. Um, today he has issued sort of another apology and he talked through an interpreter and here's what he said through an interpreter. He said, quote, I accepted the decision. I have to take responsibility for it and basically move on. Chapman continued again through his interpreter said, quote, I want to take this opportunity. I want this to be clear. I'm apologizing because the use of my gun, it was bad judgment on my part. But I also want to say that I never hurt my girlfriend. I want this to be very clear. I'm taking this punishment because of my bad judgment. It's something that I definitely want to put behind me and move on from. And quote, and I, you know, you read into some of the details of what's, you know, allegedly Chapman choked his girlfriend. Again, this is according to the girlfriend Chapman choked her. After an argument over some text messages on his phone, Chapman then allegedly went out to a detached garage on his property and fired off eight shots from a handgun, one of which flew through a window and into an open field, according to police reports. So, Chapman is being clear, he's saying, he's apologizing, but not because he hurt his girlfriend. He says he didn't hurt his girlfriend. He says he's apologizing because of the gun use and just going out and shooting off a gun. Uh, okay. I, to be honest with you, I I don't really know what's going on with this situation and the details and what's true and what's not, but I will say this. The fact that, you know, Araldus Chapman is linked to any type of domestic violence It's good to see the league step up right away and take this serious and suspend them, and they will suspend them 30 games. So uh, I I guess I'll sit here today while not knowing all the details and not knowing what's true and what's not with the Eraldis Chapman situation. I will applaud Major League Baseball uh, for coming out and hitting them hard with a 30-game suspension right away. Uh, I'll applaud them for that. You got to the, the leagues. has got to take this stuff seriously. They got to suspend people right away, and and you know they need to at least make an attempt uh, to try and prevent some of this stuff and send a message to the other players in their respective leagues that even if y'all link to some of this stuff, we are going to come down on you with a suspension. And Chapman will be suspended thirty games for the New York Yankees. So. Uh, We'll keep an eye on all the things that go on on spring training here. Major League Baseball, we got some games going. It's a nice time of year. Before you know it, we'll have the NCAA tournament. We'll have some regular season baseball. We'll even have the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs before you know it. But whatever happens between now and then, I will react to it. I am here five days a week. Listen and subscribe at DannyPicard.com, also available on iTunes. And if you don't have an iPhone or an iPad, you can get this show on the Stitcher app, also on TuneIn, really anywhere podcasts are available, you can get this show. Again, I record every single weekday. You can listen whenever you want. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, all forms of social media. Special thanks to Jimmy Murphy for joining me today. I'm out. Talk to them all.